Now I'd like to take a moment to introduce a very special guest, Captain Trevor Green. Captain Green was discussing peace and aid to village elders in Afghanistan when he was attacked from behind and critically injured. The doctors thought he would never walk or talk again, but he slowly but surely proved them wrong. Captain Green was recently presented with the Sacrifice Medal from the Governor General on Monday and was a special guest at the True Patriot Love Dinner here uh, in Toronto on Tuesday night. And for those of us that were there, it was a tremendous night to be part of. And he is now with us here today, along with his fiancée, Debbie Lepore, and his platoon leader, Captain Shamoon, to say a few words in honor of Remembrance Day. So please welcome Captain Green. to serve on you. I have my profound thanks for taking care of my family after I was wounded. Remembrance Day is very personal for me now. I have many friends behind on the battlefield. Puppies used to represent past conflicts for me. They now represent my time in Afghanistan. Farmers are forced to plant their crops to grow poppies. The top bank financed their prayers from the sale of the opium from them. We may not defeat the tall man. We may not end, the end poverty. We may not win the war on drugs, but we must try. To not do so condemns women and children of the world to poverty and despair. Our souls will shrink from having failed them. This week, I've had the opportunity to meet with several Afghan community and business leaders. Ask them what they wanted. Asked them what they needed, like I did when I was in Afghanistan. To a man or a woman, they said the same thing. We need mentorship and investment to save our people in our homeland. I send this out to you. Help these people. Help the Afghans. Canadian generations are known by the wars they fight. Our great-grandfathers are known for World War I. Our grandfathers for World War II. 
my generation will be known by the Afghan war. God willing, next generations will be known not, by, not for but, but by peace. Thank you. Captain Green, uh, thank you for being with us today. Uh, you're a true inspiration to every Canadian. And as a token of our appreciation, we would like to give you and your fiance and Captain Schumann a copy of General Hilliard's book as appreciation. So thank you very much. And now I'll introduce today's guest. Our guest today is the author of a new book called A Soldier First. Yet for many Canadians, for some time now, he has been our first soldier. For close to a decade, General Rick Hillier was the face of our Canadian forces, not just across the country, but around the world. When our troops were sent into some of the most dangerous and troubled spots on earth, it was Hillier that Canadians trusted to understand the situation, to tell us that what we needed to be done, and then to do it. He both presented and represented some of the best things about Canada whenever he served. Our values, our freedom, our willingness to reach out to people in trouble, regardless of who they are or where they are. He focused our attention on the selfish work and sacrifices being made by so many young Canadians in the forces, restoring our faith in our military and our pride in what it means to be a Canadian soldier. As a soldier first, General Hillier had the full confidence and deepest respect of the men and women under his command. Canadian troops knew that whenever they were, he had their back. And he'd be shaking the bushes to get them the tools and equipment they needed, and most especially, the recognition and respect they deserved. A career soldier, General Hillier was first Canadian Deputy Commanding General of the Third Corps of the U.S. Army in Fort Hood, Texas, in 1998. In 2000, he took command of NATO Stabilization Forces, Multinational Division, Southwest, in Bosnia-Herzegovina. He was appointed commander of the Army in May 2003 and was subsequently selected as the commander of the NATO-led International Security Assistance Force in Kabul, Afghanistan. He was promoted to his present rank and assumed duties as Canada's Chief of the Defence Staff in February 2005 and has served in that capacity until he retired just recently, July 2008. Here to tell us more about his experience as an insider in Canadian's military and to celebrate the launch of his book, A Soldier First, is one of Canada's most beloved soldiers, First, last, and always, please welcome General Rick Hillier. Well, John, uh, thank you very much for the introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said this many times, so if you've heard me say it before, I'll, I'll say it. Forgive me, 
Uh, always ask forgiveness, not permission, is what I've, I believed uh, I learned from the Joey Smallwood School of Public Speaking. But, but I got introduced a lot during my life, and I used to say there were several introductions that I remembered. And so, John, I say this because I always enjoyed a short, concise, and hopefully precise introduction. Thank you very much for that. And, and I was introduced once. I'm a soldier. I've been a soldier all my life. And I was introduced one time at an event as an admiral in the United States Navy. <laughs> and I have no idea how, where it came from. Uh, secondly, I was introduced... Uh, as, a, as a Dutch major general, and this was when I took over command of the division in Bosnia uh, back in 2000, and the only thing I could think of that caused that was that when we did the change of command ceremony, as you probably already know by my accent, I am a Newfoundlander, nobody could understand a single word that I said and assumed it had to be Dutch, and hence I was introduced as a Dutch major general. But the one that really sort of stuck with us as a heartwarming one was about this time of year, some years ago, uh, Joyce and I were invited out to the uh, to the Royal Canadian Legion for a dinner, uh, about 350 people. I was going to speak. There was a head table. We had a small reception. We had three of that incredible, what Tom Brokaw called the, uh, the greatest generation, World War II veterans, uh, who were 89 years old. All three of them were 89 years. And one of them was going to introduce me. And during the reception, he had more than his normal allocation of triple scotches, and he couldn't do the job. So these guys, being the practical, pragmatic, common sense men that they were, said, hey, General Hillier, would you introduce yourself? And I did. <laughs> and it was the most complimentary introduction I've ever had in my entire life, I have to tell you. You know, uh, and I'll just tell you this little one, and, I, and I'm not going to, I'm trying not to sound arrogant and pompous in this one, and I probably want, and, and so I apologize up front. I was at an event last week, and actually I had something that touched me even more. Uh, I was introduced by a young soldier, Andrew Knisley. He was wounded terribly in Afghanistan. He had his left leg uh, torn off by an explosion, most of his right arm destroyed, other wounds throughout his body. Big, tall, good-looking man. I mean, just a great Canadian. You'd love to have him as your son. And he was introduced to me. He got up and said, this is General Hillier. He was my commander, and we trusted him. Over to you. <laughs> and that was it. I thought, oh, my God, what a compliment from a young soldier to stand up and say that uh, you were trusted by him as a leader. Look, I'm proud to be here today, and, and I just feel so honored to be here uh, with the, the family that we just saw and with Kevin. Uh, my goodness, Trevor Green, I saw about a year and three quarters ago the last time uh, with Debbie. And I've got to tell you, the no reverse on this incredible Canadian, uh, the inspiration that he gives others is, is unbelievable. And what he has done with the support of that phenomenal woman in the last two years to change their lives and the lives of others has been absolutely unbelievable. And it really is a privilege to be here with you today, particularly around 11th of November. And I'll also tell you, ladies and gentlemen, from the heart, one of my personal her heroes is that young guy on the left who was up here, Kevin. Uh, this is an incredible soldier. He has absolutely powerful values. He's a leader extraordinaire. People follow him because he inspires them to follow him. And he's done that in the toughest kinds of mission that you would ever want to be in and, and really is a hero of our country. And we are so lucky to have people like you serve in our forces, Kevin. Thank you for what you do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is 12 November. We just finished an incredible Remembrance Day and a day of remembrance and commemoration and appreciation across our country. And so we are right in that same time frame, again, finishing the True Patriot Love Dinner the night before that Remembrance Day activities yesterday, during which our Commander-in-Chief, the Governor-General of Canada, wore her uniform 
And it really is actually, as a soldier, it really is nice to see our commander-in-chief wearing her uniform uh, for something like Remembrance Day. I was delighted to see. But I would actually like to ask the folks that are in this room that are either in uniform, who are serving and perhaps not in uniform, who or who have served in the Canadian Forces and serve your country, would you just stand and be recognized by the rest of the people here for what you do for Canada and all Canadians from coast to coast to coast? If you're a veteran or a soldier or a serving soldier, would you stand and be recognized, please? And there are a lot of other folks here today that have special, a special place in our, you know, the Honorable Bill Graham, who was my Minister of Defence and who I believe recommended me to the Prime Minister of Canada uh, as, the, uh, as the next Chief of Defence Staff. I'm not sure how much he regrets that. <laughs> there were moments when I regretted it, Bill, I've got to say. <laughs> but uh, one of the individuals that I have the utmost respect for and enjoyed working with and working for and one of the individuals who I believe uh, really took a, a, a such an interest in our men and women in uniform and their families across the country and so that he could actually make the changes that were necessary and indeed he did that in most incredible way and so thank you to Bill Graham. There's another guy back here who's very special to Joyce and I, Mr. Tom Anselmi from the uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Tom has been into Afghanistan now what three times Tom and he's taken he's work to get musicians and and players and alumni from the NHL in helped us get the Stanley Cup to bring in and and he's just been an incredible individual to help young Canadians 12,000 kilometers away from home on a dirty, dusty, dangerous trail, who you might forgive for thinking they're all alone. This guy has been absolutely instrumental in connecting them back to Canada and Canadians during their tours and letting them know that indeed it is the opposite, that they have the support of Canadians represented by the National Hockey League, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. And Tom, you've been an incredible friend and a great supporter. Yeah. You know i got to tell the story. I, I, and Tom, I got to tell this story, right? So we took the Stanley Cup into Afghanistan and we got it out and this thing was absolutely beautiful for our soldiers. It was like a cooling mental solve, if you will, for people who were stressed and, and people who were undergoing very difficult things and people who had lost their friends. And we took that cup out and, and the young men and women were incredible with it. They, they had the cup, you know, one guy had his picture taken lying in the bunk with his arm around it pretending he was asleep and with the Stanley Cup and, 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 you know, and they hoisted it. They found their favorite teams and their favorite players and there was a young guy, 18 years old, a young soldier who managed to weasel up to me knowing that I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and he said, sir, of course you realize now with the Stanley Cup here in Kandahar, this means that the Taliban have been closer to it for 42 years than the Toronto Maple Leafs. So. Now, I, I, I did tell Larry Tannenbaum that story last night at the True Patriot Love Dinner, but we're going to win the Cup 2010. We'd like to bring it back from the United States of America. Toronto Maple Leafs are going to do that, and we're, we're all on side. And listen, I've got to say uh, thanks to Toronto Dominion also for being the sponsor here today. I do have a very special relationship with Toronto Dominion, and it started, and the reason I became a part of that uh, bank and the financial group was because of the leadership and a leadership from a guy named Ed Clark, who's a pretty incredible guy and perhaps most in demand around the world these days for a whole variety of people who want to know which way to go from here. And then a guy called Frank McKenna, who was a good friend, and we worked very closely together when he was the ambassador down in Washington. I was the chief of defense staff, and Frank said a couple of times, he said, Rick, you know, when you are ready to retire, 
He said, I might be able to help you through transition. I've done a couple of transitions, and I might have a few tips to offer you to avoid some pitfalls. I said, Frank, I look forward to that. And so the 15th of April last year, I announced my retirement. And the second, uh, two days after that, the phone rang, and it was Frank. And we had a lunch scheduled for a couple weeks after that down in Toronto. He said, Rick, I heard about the announcement. You know, sorry to see you go. He said, I've, we're going to have the launch. I'm already making my list of things that I would recommend to you to avoid or to, or to seize. But he said, right up front, two pieces of advice for you. Number one is make no decisions early. Let the dust settle. You know, let the offers come and go or not. But just take some time for yourself and your family. Let the dust settle and make no decisions early. Make no commitments right away. So that's number one. Number two, he said, Toronto Dominion would love to have you come work for us. That's all. <laughs> so here you go. Thank you, Toronto Dominion, for what you, uh, what you have done. And uh, there's just a couple of other folks I, I want to introduce here and, and just say, because they are special and they deserve to be recognized. And I would just like to ask Alan Cole and his team there with Jane and Luke and the team, if you would just stand up. Alan and his team of Jane and Luke and the other folks that are here, they look after our soldiers when we lose them in Afghanistan. You, have only, you, you cannot imagine the compassion and the tenderness and, and the professionalism which, which, with which they treat our soldiers and the family members and look after them in every way possible through what is the worst, uh, worst days of their lives, certainly. And I just want to say you do a great service to Canada through the Canadian Forces by what you do in each and every day. Thank you for what you do. So, ladies and gentlemen, I did write a book. Uh, it is called A Soldier First. And to tell you the truth, I really didn't want to write it. I wanted to write a book on leadership. Uh, and uh, when I talked to the uh, publishers, and uh, my editor-in-chief is here today, Jim Gifford from HarperCollins, who have been absolutely incredible in their support, they said, we'd love to pu uh, publish that book on leadership. But in front of that, we'd love to publish the story. And so we bound uh, the two together. And I'm now in the, in the midst of trying to produce the draft, the first draft of that second book, the one that my heart is really in, which is a book on leadership. And I wanted to do that for a variety of reasons. I think every day as a soldier, I saw people in uniform demonstrate the leadership, demonstrate the principles of leadership through their actions in a way that was most incredible and absolutely gratifying to watch. And I think most people across our country didn't get to see it. I think that story and their leadership characteristics and traits and tips needs to be told. And secondly, I was tired in Canada of every time I was looking for a book on leadership or tips on leadership, all I could find was one written by somebody from outside of Canada. And I thought there's a great Canadian story in those men and women in uniform, and I didn't want to tell it. But I do have to say thanks to HarperCollins and Jim Gifford for their support in helping me get to that one. And let me just say three or four things about what I sort of tried to talk about in that book and in the stories that we told uh, a soldier first. And the first one was of how incredibly important our families are to us and what they mean to all of us, particularly those who serve, and particularly those who serve far from home for long, for long periods of time. We were never very good at looking after our families, I'll tell you that. And I, I joke, but it it's really is true. We used to have a saying in the Army that if the Army had wanted you to have a family, we would have issued you one, right? And that, <laughs> colored, every, that colored our entire approach, and, and we really treated our families for decades and decades uh, like excess baggage, like unaccompanied baggage. And you were responsible for looking after your family. Uh, too bad if it got tough, and if they broke, you were expected to fix it because that was your responsibility. And the Army, the Canadian Forces, really wasn't in that business. Well, we realize in this age of global communications 
that if the family breaks back in Canada, in five minutes, the young man or woman deployed in the Persian Gulf or in the middle of Africa or in the middle of Afghanistan is aware of that, and that young individual then is focused on the family, and we lose him or her just as if they had been a casualty from an enemy. And so we had to, first of all, just for mission success, support the family, but then we also had to do it because it was right. We were demanding so much from our young men and women in uniform, and the families were bearing the stress of that without any support whatsoever. And we encountered families, for example, that would, when their loved one deployed, they would never turn the TV or the radio off. They wanted to know every time something occurred around the world, particularly in the area where the deployment had taken place, and they became news junkies. And then we had another group of families that never turned the TV and radio on. And they didn't want to know anything, and they didn't want to hear a knock on the door, and they didn't want to hear that telephone ring, particularly late at night, because they were always fearing the message that would come. And those families were absolutely fundamentally important to what we had to do. And I think we started to change the attitudes of the Canadian forces and, equally important, change the attitudes of Canadians toward those families. And I think the True Patriot Love Dinner on Tuesday night was a perfect case of the fundamental shift in our country that has occurred. 1,800 to 2,000 people show up to support the Military Families Fund. We raised $2 million for it. We had the opportunity to showcase the families and, 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 and talk about what they endure and what they give to our country, albeit indirectly. And I think it was a momentous time in our country and, and indicated a shift. You know, I, I supported it. I tried to be at the front end of change of driving it when I was the Chief of Defence Staff. Uh, many other folks got onto it far faster and, and much more capably than I. But sometimes I didn't practice that myself. I got to tell you, you know, you, you heard Joyce uh, introduced here today, and I'll just tell you a couple of stories. You know, uh, I didn't always look after my wife and my family like I wanted the other soldiers and sailors and airmen and airwomen to look after their families with our support. When I was in training one time, we distrusted our instructors so much because we thought they were assessing us in every way and putting stress on us that I was in the tank heading downrange to do a tactical exercise to be assessed as to whether or not I was going to be an, an officer in the Armour Corps. And the instructors in the other side of the tank, a lot of people have failed the course already, and so we're all pretty nervous and under the gun, so to speak, young officers, 19 years old, 20 years old, 21, and the guy that's in the instructor comes on the intercom and says, Mr. Hillier, I uh, just want you to know before we start the exercise, uh, your wife has been sent to hospital for an emergency operation, and I just want to know, A, do you want to carry on with the tactical exercise? And we'll have a vehicle meet you at the end and take you to meet her right away in the hospital about 35 kilometers away. Or B, do you want to take a vehicle right now, stop the exercise, take a vehicle right now, miss your turn in the, turn in the shoot, and go to the hospital with her right away. And I thought to myself, he's just, he's lying to me. He's putting the pressure on me. He's tricking me here. And I said, well, of course, I'm going to carry on with the tactical exercise, and I'll go see her after. <laughs> right? So we did the tactical exercise of six hours. At the end of it, he did a debriefing. I managed to get a pass in it. And then he said, right, the vehicle's right over there to go in and visit your wife. I said, visit my wife? Why would I want to do that? He, well, she said, just had an emergency appendix operation, and uh, she's in Oromocto Public Hospital, and your uh, six-month-old son is somewhere we're not sure, and now you can go and find them. <laughs> Joyce has never, never forgiven me for that one. <laughs> I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. And, and, and I continued my, uh, my poor support to my family. Uh, when I was the commander of the Army in uh, early, uh, late September and early October of uh, 2003, uh, the Secretary General of NATO was visiting Canada, and, and Canada at the time was really pushing hard to get command of the NATO mission in Afghanistan. And we were going to put forward some names or a name of a three-star and my name was clearly in the shoot. And if Canada got the mission, there was no doubt from our minister's perspective and the chief of defense uh, uh, 
staff at the time, Ray and O, that it was going to be Rick Hillier. And so I had been really busy doing a variety of things. Uh, we had been running flat out. I went home one night, sat down in our family room with Joyce. We were sipping a glass of wine, turned on the National, and Peter Mansbridge's lead story was, today the Secretary General of NATO visited Canada and uh, announced that a Canadian three-star Army General will command a mission in Afghanistan starting in January. And Joyce looked over at me and said, so tell me again how many three-star generals there are in the Army in Canada. <laughs> I said, well, honey, it's me. And uh, that's how she found out I was going off to command a mission in Afghanistan. <laughs> and so I just finished up by saying I, I tried to amend my ways. Uh, the day after I retired, the day I announced my retirement, it was a, it was a long day. I got home about 10 o'clock that night. Joyce and I had a, broke up my bottle of wine and kind of sat down and felt we'd done the right thing, taken the right steps at the right time for the right reasons. Next day was a full work day for me, so I was out the door at like 6.10 in the morning with my small team, and Joyce is still in the bed asleep, and she is the romantic in our family. So I'm heading down the road in the car with a small team, and I'm looking around in my environment, and all of a sudden I grabbed the cell phone and phoned her, and got this you know, sleepy hello, and I said, Joyce, uh, do you know what day this is? And Joyce, like I say, she is the romantic. She said, uh, hmm, is it the first day of the rest of our lives? And I thought really quickly and said, Joyce, yes it is, but it's also freaking garbage day, so put the garbage out because I forgot. <laughs> so there you go. We have learned over these past years, and I think part of the great story of Canada's armed forces over this past years, and particularly this last three or four or five years, based on the incredible support from huge numbers of people like you here and those who are at True Patriot Love, is that the family is so incredibly important. You know, one of the other things we really learned, and I tried to tell in our story, and we'll continue to tell in the leadership book, is that one person makes a difference. One person makes a difference. Unless you think I'm being arrogant and pompous, I'm not talking about myself because it didn't. But I saw those incredible young men and women and their families who made a difference. And I'll tell you a very short story of one woman who was like that, and her name is Maureen Eichlenboom. And some of you may know her. I had the opportunity to meet Maureen during the worst day of her life. It truly was. And that was the day we both met in Trenton when she went to receive the body of her son, Andrew Eichlenboom, who had been killed in June of 2006 by a suicide bomber. Andrew was a combat medic, incredible soldier, incredibly professional, and wherever he went during the operations, what Andrew tried to do was do a little extra for the children in around that little village or that little area, whether it was a medical clinic or whether it was helping train somebody in maybe a few hours of basic first aid that they could carry on with after he had left. He was killed by a suicide bomber. I met uh, Maureen in Trenton when I walked into the door, and she quite literally was standing there waiting for me. And before I was fully in the door, she had her finger in my chest. And she's not a very tall woman, Maureen is not. She's just a small woman, but she's got a, a fire and a no reverse on her that everybody gets consumed by in the most positive sense. And she said, General, we're not going to let Andrew's uh, death uh, be forgotten, are we? And I said, no, Maureen, we are not. And she said, and we are not going to let his sacrifice go unnoticed or appreciated by Canadians, are we, General? I said, no, Maureen, we are not. And she said, we are not going to have his work that he was doing for those children stop in Afghanistan, are we, General? I said, no, Maureen, we are not. And by now, her finger has gone through my chest bone and is into the front part of my spine. And General, she said, we're going to do something. I don't know what it is yet, and you're going to be a part of it, aren't you? And I said, yes, Maureen, I am. And she said, stop. And she said, you know, General Hillier, did you know that my maiden name was Hillier? And I said, well, that freaking well explains it, doesn't it, Maureen? I, I've been bossed around by my mother, my five sisters, my wife, my daughter-in-law, potential daughter-in-law all my life. I said, why should you be any different as a Hillier woman? And that woman established a Boomer legacy. And uh, Boomer was Andrew's nickname. 
And what she tried to do was facilitate support to the children in Afghanistan, particularly in the Kandahar area where our soldiers work. She has raised so far and sent in and distributed directly to projects in the hospital helping the children, particularly the preemies and the young children born with the highest mortality rate in the world, $275,000. No overhead here, no administrative costs, no corruption here. This is all straight to programs and equipment, affected the lives of hundreds of people in a most positive way. And then she also realizing that preemies die more quickly because they lose so much heat through their skull. She got a group of ladies across Canada knitting what they called the boomer cap, a little knit tight boomer cap, they call it. They've knit and sent in, and our soldiers take them in their combat pants pockets by the half dozen. They hand them out to the village uh, elders if they're males, and if they're female soldiers, they'll hand them out to the, uh, to the females that they encounter in those villages. So far, they have knit and sent into Afghanistan and been used now by folks around there. 75,000 of those boomer caps. Can you imagine? This incredible lady, Maureen Eichenberg. One person can make a difference. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the other things I learned was that moral courage is really tough. And you know, some of the times I said some things and said some things in venues and places where people thought it, A, was either inappropriate or B, I just shouldn't have been involved with it or shouldn't be commenting upon it. And I always had to go back and look in the mirror when I got up in the morning and just confirm who I was looking at and what that guy was trying to do. And one of the things that I reminded myself every day, every day, was that I had some 90,000 young men and women in uniform in the regular and reserve forces who looked to me for leadership, who looked to me to represent them. I had, in a, in a different way, but still uh, very important to me, uh, about 150,000 family members across the country who also looked for that kind of representation. And I always reminded myself every morning when I looked in that mirror to shave, if I wasn't going to tell a story of those young men and women in uniform in the Navy and the Army and the Air Force and the family members who supported them, then who was going to do it? I was their commander, and I felt that on their behalf, I had to have the moral courage to tell their story. And it wasn't just me, because I got supported in that in most incredible way. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, when you do get an opportunity to write a book about something that you've been involved in, describe that incredible story of the Canadian forces and people who serve our country so well, you get an opportunity to have a soapbox. And having gone to the Joey Smallwood School of Public Speaking, I was always reminded, if it's worth saying once, it's worth saying five or six or seven times. <laughs> and if you ever got an audience of three, four, five hundred, or fifteen hundred, or eighteen hundred captive, you ever, never ever let them up, not, not one single time, and you had to use that soapbox to achieve all that you possibly could. I had an incredible career as a soldier, consider myself a soldier now, and will be till the day I die, which hopefully for, won't be for an incredibly long time. And I enjoyed the appointment of Chief of Defense Staff, though I must admit if somebody had said I was going to be Chief of Defense Staff to me when I was a young captain or a major, I would have jumped off the nearest building that I could have found, I think, and, and taken the easy way out. But I've got to tell you that the privilege of representing and commanding those men and women in uniform and their families was something that I would do all over again. That is to say, I'd do two things. I'd join the Canadian Forces, join the Army as a soldier, and I'd marry that girl right there. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for your attention here today. Thank you, General. I'd now like to call on Alfred Apps, President of the Empire Club, to the podium, please. Alfred? Wherever would this country's sense of humor be if it weren't for Newfoundlanders? <laughs> General, 
Hillier, Joyce. I had made notes to thank the general before he spoke, and Tom will be my witness that uh, I wrote these remarks before I heard that what he really wanted to write about was leadership. The question of what makes a great leader is a difficult one. It's a concept that is complex, much of it ephemeral. There's a certain magic involved. And complexity of leadership is compounded and confounded when one considers the role that our honored guest has been called upon by his country to play. As head of the military in a modern liberal democracy, first, there's a leadership that involves the morale of the forces, which sometimes means pushing the envelope. Then there's the leadership that is based in the principles of our democracy, which demands ultimately constraint and deference to the civilian authority. But those are the old ways of looking at it. This general changed our concept of leadership by focusing on how we close the gap, how we bridge the divide, how we heal the rift, how a healthy society requires a shared sense of mission between the man and woman on the street and the man or woman in the trenches. So I want to say thank you four times. First, I want to thank you, General Hillier, for enriching our Remembrance Day reflection at a time when, once again, young Canadians are being called to make the ultimate sacrifice for Queen and country. I want to thank you for sharing a bit of your story today, which is so rich and so interesting and so important and so entertaining. I want to thank you for being here and taking the time with us and actually for autographing the book for my dad's Christmas. <laughs> but finally, I want to thank you for really showing Canadians the kind of leadership we're capable of, not only in your personality, but through the collective extension of what you have accomplished as Chief of the General Staff. So General Hillier, thank you four times. Come again. We are all very proud of you and the men and women who serve under you. Thank you, uh, thank you, Alfred, and thank you again, General, for your comments, and a special thanks again to the TD Bank Financial Group for their, uh, making this event possible. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, uh, David. Um, books, for those who have books or wish to purchase books, they will be made available outside, and the General will sign them for you. Uh, and this concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast Rogers TV in the days to come. We, we are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. This meeting is now adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you.